welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcasts, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature center paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Good evening, good morning, good night, good second breakfast, whenever you are, wherever you are. My name is Laura Gonzalez, and I'd like to welcome you to Lunatic Mondays, Lunes Lunaticos, the very first bilingual show for CNSNP, the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast. And I always say the first because there are two. The second one is Paganos del Mundo or Pagaos del Mundo, the one that is in Portuguese and Spanish. And But today we are on Lunatic Mondays, and I have a very intriguing uh, guest, uh, Veronica Wild. She's an author. She wrote Love and Gaslight, and I just cannot get enough of this book. And I thought I lost it, but I will tell you about it in a minute. Anyway, about Veronica, uh, Tugaleva, Nikulia, Veronica, poet, feminist, nomad, vocalist, cat fanatic, queer immigrant, survivor, Tree hugger, activist, crossing borders, gazing at the stars, pickles, coffee, getting lost in the woods, questioning authority, avocados, dancing in the rain, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, veronica.org. I'm very, very happy that she's a yes and is here on our show tonight. So, Veronica, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming and thank you for um, writing this wonderful book. And I want to open with a saying that I thought I lost it. And I have never had such bad uh, situation with a book because I was like, it took, it took a while for it to come. It shipped from Canada and um and then I'm like, how am I going to interview this person without having read the book or at least skim through it? And then finally, I found it yesterday and I have been uh, drinking from it. Another thing is I never do dog ears on my books, but this one, I couldn't help it. I mean, you have so many gold nuggets or gold mines on every one of the pages. And if I may, please... Veronica, I want to read the first one that really got to me because I think it's fantastic. And mm-hmm. so so people can get a little bit of a taste of who this amazing poet is. Mirror image misery. I am sick with my own self-judgment, masquerading as my assumptions about other people's judgments of me. You are fantastic. Your writing is just mesmerizing and amazing. How long ago do you start writing? I think I've been doing it since I could hold a pen, really. I mean, when I was a kid, I would string words together in my head. At that time, it was in Russian. Um, because I was born in Ukraine. We spoke Russian. We're from the Donbass region. And uh, I... I can't remember when I actually started writing it down officially and thinking, okay, this is writing, you know? Um, But as I did it, you know, for school and start handing assignments in and uh, it became clear that I was able to communicate something through my words, but I really think I've been doing it forever. I think you're very powerful and there is a lot of there's a lot of interesting ones that I like I said have to bookmark and fold the thing in the book and all that but is this your this is not your first uh published one is it no it's not so I actually spent some time doing self-help and personal growth so I have two books published under my government name Veronica Tugaleva and I was really passionate about teaching people about self-love and self-awareness, but it was all in this nonfiction narrative kind of style. Um, one of my 
actually my most popular book, The Art of Talking to Yourself. That's a personal growth book. And after I released The Art of Talking to Yourself, I decided that I was going to leave self-help and pursue poetry. There's just something, uh, there was something out of alignment for me being a self-help teacher, let's say. There was um, this directness in it where I'm telling people, even if it's encouraging and inspiring, you know, it's just very uh, separate, you know, like to me, poetry is something that I'm sharing a piece of my soul and I don't have to be in a better mood by the time that I write the poem. Like I can just write a sad poem. And I can just write an angry poem and there's no need for it to have a moral because the moral is self-expression. Mm -hmm. So yeah, The Loving Gaslight is my third book, but I'd say it's my first poetry book. <laughs> and and is that poetry that got me, I am an aficionado, of course, I love art and I do a whole kind of artistic expressions on my life and as part of my practice as well, but Another thing that I um, got identified with you with the book is you are an immigrant and from an immigrant to an immigrant, how big is or is not still the wound from leaving your country of origin and how being an immigrant affects your writing? You know, it's the answer to that question has recently changed because my home country is at war and the disputed region of Ukraine, the Donbass region, um, Donbass stands for Donetska Oblast, which is the area around Donetsk and Donetsk is where I'm from. Um, I also, as time went on and you can even see it at the end of Love and Gaslight, I started to realize that Ukrainian wasn't the only was it the only thing I was? And that when I would tell people I was Russian, it was actually inaccurate because I'm also from two different indigenous tribes in Northern Russia. So Russia has colonized um, so many indigenous populations. And you look at the map and it just says Russia, right? But now they're trying to colonize my home country too. So um, it's been very, strange to have my home country be at war and to have there be a proclaimed genocide and then to be an immigrant in a country where like Canada has its own genocide against the indigenous people so uh, these days it's been feeling a bit like I'm a product of all this colonial strife you know like genocide and people who keep disappearing off the map and so it's like, I'm grateful to, uh, I'm grateful to not be in a country that's at war, but then Canada's in its own war. It's just a bit silent right now. Um, I really think that all the things that I'm connected to, it, it serves a purpose in the writing. Like how many people do you know who are Ukrainian and indigenous and an immigrant? It gives me this really unique way to be able to look at the world and to have compassion for the people in it, you know? Like if I hadn't had these experiences and I had just lived in like a nice house on a hill in a valley, I might not care about what I care about. So I feel overwhelmed by it sometimes, but I don't think I'd trade my experiences for anything. I will borrow your words because yeah, I wouldn't trade my, uh origin either or, or my situation of a, as an immigrant but I read yesterday somebody say these words that really hit me like colonization goes through it is not exclusive to color or region you know and it is this monster that just eats everything on mm. its path and as you said very clearly you know it, it, what a privilege and what a joy to survive have survived and what a unique perspective on self-growth and self-help and 
I have to say, and, and please, if you don't want me to read your poetry, you can stop me at any, at any time, but I need to read <laughs> this one because, and I, I, I'm trying to find it. I, I need to read this one because it kind of goes with what we just said. Who put the sham in shamanic? In the wrong part of town, it's a curse. Here we have half-baked traditions from a culture we neither belong to nor give back to. Here, it's medicine. Here, drink up. Yeah. I, I, just, I just love your perspective because now I, can, now I see it. You know, now I see the indigenousness and the immigrant and the uh, survival of genocide and so many other things that you write in this book. And art is supposed to be disruptive, right? Art is supposed to make you think and at the same time is very subjective. And I, I will have to ask, as you say, this is a lot of your soul. Is this all about your survivor the book is it about my story you know it it is uh, that's something that uh i think makes my poetry different from what my nonfiction was because everything every poem that i write i had to write it like i'm not it's not like when I've done a visual art where I'm trying to create something that looks nice. I'm trying to create something that's medicinal. Like I believe in the medicinal power of poetry. So you have language and all these different languages in the world and all these different options for how to communicate yourself. But when you string your words together into a certain format and then read those words back to yourself, you have the power to make yourself cry. You have the power to make yourself angry. You have the power to make yourself happy. You know, it's like these little prescriptions that you give yourself. And I think some people can't imagine wanting to write a prescription for crying, you know, or rage. But when you're surviving through so much trauma, then the world triggers you. Like you go out on the street and the color of somebody's shirt, the smell of somebody's cologne, loud noises bright lights like everything is triggering so writing poetry that triggers your emotional state even if it's a really unpleasant emotional state it gives you control back it gives me this feeling of okay yeah it makes me sad but i'm in control of how much this wound weeps i'm in control of how much this bleeds and when and by writing all these poems it's it's me trying to get back some control over this emotional cauldron that's always brewing inside me you know there's there's always so many feelings and um you know even when i wasn't publishing poetry i was still i still spent most of my life writing it you know as a survival mechanism mm -hmm. just echo in the void like i need to Put these abstract feelings into words so that I can understand what I feel and where I'm going and what what's happened to me and then you know when I share it and people tell me what they relate to then it sort of completes the circle you know you said the who put the shaman shamanic poem I've actually never had uh, a radio show or podcast host read that one back to me like I've had there's these poems that people read back to me on a regular basis but you know when you have somebody find that one poem that means a lot to you but it's sort of underrated because not a lot of people understand what's going on um it, it really feels like sharing was the right thing to do because I said something really honest and then you related to it and now we're connected over that yep and I think it has a lot to do with, uh, of course, our experiences as indigenous women, as an immigrant women. And I don't want to assume things. So this, this guides me to my next question. And then I will fulfill it with my next thought. But 
the one poem that I read, and I don't think I have gotten to it yet, because like I say, I lost the book for a couple of weeks, but it was something about healing and the healing community and the immense amount of gaslighting that it is on the healing community. And when I read that poem that somebody shared on Facebook, that's when I reach out to you and I'm like, I need to interview this person. <laughs> so my question is, if you if you like to talk about what is your spiritual path, if you have one, and would you like to share about it? You know, it's an interesting question because even the other day I was saying to somebody how private my spirituality has become when my first book, The Love Mindset, like it was a spiritual book. So I went from, let's say, teaching spirituality, which it makes me cringe to even say that, like I was a spiritual teacher. Like it makes me want to throw up because <laughs> I feel like I have nothing, I have nothing to teach. Like I really don't. I think the spiritual path that each one of us is on is it's never defined within the realm of one specific tradition like if you're really following your spiritual connection then it's just so much more diverse than one single viewpoint so i feel like i spent a long time being atheist and rejecting all these religious ideals and i thought that was really anti anti-authority and i thought i was pretty cool for doing that and then i found out you know back home in the soviet union they considered religious people mentally ill and uh my grandmother who is gone now she lived in the Donbas region she continued to believe in god and pray to god through all of the taboo about it so it's interesting how here you know being atheist might make somebody kind of edgy but you know believing in god made my grandma edgy then and you know i think about the traditions of indigenous people and how that's not just one thing right <laughs> um like the people that I'm from, Tatar and Nahibat, they're their own customs. And now I'm in Canada, you know, as an immigrant, and I've connected so much to the native community here. I've learned a lot about, you know, sacred fire and ceremony and medicine. And so these are the traditions of this land. So I'm learning from elders and communities on this land and what the traditions are. Um, but I also have my own connections so the, the connection i have to the sacred fire and all the activism and drama that i've uh, participated in for the sake of protecting the sacred fires which are protected under the charter of rights and freedoms um it's really interesting how my ability to have a fire on this land is not protected by the charter of rights and freedoms unless i'm participating in a ceremony with the natives from Canada. And so it, there's this feeling of, um, oh, you know, the fire is the same. A fire is a fire, right? So connecting to the elements here or in, I like to call it the big cookie. Russia is the big cookie that's eaten all of these uh, other countries around it. So there's, if you have a fire on the big cookie, then it's a spiritual experience, right? If you have a fire in Canada, it's a spiritual experience. But the laws of the land and where you are or are not native to, what the law says about what you're allowed to or not allowed to do, it influences our ability to step on a spiritual path in the way that we see fit. And I feel like I've spent much more time in recent years connecting to what's available through nature you know like what's already here um connecting to my ancestors connecting to um the different ways that i can communicate with what is communicating with me but it's hard to say 
it's hard to like take the spiritual path and make it something different from my path as as a human being, you know, because all of these like intersections about where I'm from and where I've been and what I care about, I think that is a spiritual act. You know, I think like getting up in the morning and breathing in and out and choosing to just live another day, like that's a that's a spiritual act. So I don't see a huge separation, but I also see uh, I see in my own journey this evolution from uh, spirituality as this thing that I teach and talk about and package into this connection with the natural world. And so my spiritual journey has become very politicized in the past few years. And it's it's been hard to, to unwind that, but it's a truth. What is personal is political, including our spiritual beliefs and so my thoughts were because like again when I read that one uh, who puts a shaman shamanism I was like yep uh, being an indigenous woman from next door you know from Mexico and seeing all our culture appropriated and our medicine mocked yet sought it's yeah. like it doesn't make sense at all um so the medicine, when you were talking about the, the word as medicine and the medicine that comes by sharing your, your hurt and your pain and your recovery and your anger, I love that you talk about anger and how that becomes a little bag of medicine that you hold. And thank you from my heart to yours for writing this book because I strongly believe that when one of us speak their mind, the rest of us realize a that we're not alone and b that we validate each other and we recognize each other and we see each other so thank you for writing this book and whatever part of your journey you are on spiritually this is a great bunch of pages of words and, and medicine um and yeah, so, so thank you for writing it. How long it took you to compile all of this poetry? I, like I said, I've been through half of it, but I just can't put it down. It's just so precious. How long was it to compile it? You know, it's a, it's a question I get a lot and it's, it's an interesting um, question to answer because technically it's taken me my entire life right? Because there's poems where I'm talking about things my grandmother said when I was a child and uh, something that happened with me and the cops when I was 13. And, you know, I've abstractly, vividly embedded these traumas that I've had with my mother and father as a kid. Some of them are hidden in poetry and some of them are a bit more in plain sight. Um, so the experiences were there, but I'd say the words that ended up being edited to be compiled in the book, uh, I could say it started around 2014, 15, but not as poems. So the first chapter, you know, she, I say she because I see the book as having a main character. I mean, obviously it's me. But there's five chapters, right? And, and uh, I see this character going through these five stages of uh, trying to find a deeper level of truth. And so the first thing that has to happen is she has to leave this, this toxic relationship. And those poems were, they were just rants, you know, or paragraphs or little notes I made to myself. And so in the, in the first chapter, you'll see some poems that rhyme you'll see some structure there's a poem shaped like an hourglass you know and uh that was something that I did years later in 2020 so the poem love and gaslight that gave the book its name I had recently been sexually assaulted by a spiritual healer in the Toronto community um had the community not respond I mean, they responded in a predictable way, I realize now after what I've uh, seen and heard. But at the time, it was really hurtful. I thought, 
you know, how could these people not care about A, keeping predators out of their community and B, uh, just my feelings. Like, how could they not care about my feelings? Um, so I wrote Love and Gaslight kind of as a, ugh, you know, I was just sick of it all. You know, the you had in the USA, like in, in, in May of 2020, you had um, George Floyd passed away and you had all of this video footage of what the police were doing in America. You had these uprisings, you had Black Lives Matter and the spiritual community, the conscious community was like nowhere to be seen. Like they just disappeared. You know, these people that are like one love, compassion, love everybody. Like they just went quiet when uh, there's some real justice problems going on. So I got triggered. I wrote this poem and then it went viral. And I had actually written it the first time I wrote it. Uh, I just, I had this screenshot of my notes app and I had shared it under my, my, my government name, which is what I had published my first two books under. Um, but then I started getting all these comments and all these, uh, all these messages of these women that were saying me too. And it was, it was overwhelming really because the, the Me Too movement is supposed to make us feel less alone. And it did make me feel less alone, but it made me feel hopeless. It was like hundreds of women from all over the world had been sexually assaulted by a spiritual healer. Like it's so specific, not just sexually assaulted, but specifically by somebody who claimed to have spiritual healing powers. Um, so the popularity of that poem, I, I felt like there was something there and I... And I felt like, okay, I should put this together. I should write this story. And so I started digging through what I had. You know, I had spoken word. I, I started doing spoken word officially in 2019. So I had some pieces that I had, you know, done poetry slams and battled with. Um, I had those scraps of notes to myself that I wrote to myself in my first relationship. Um, that I mentioned in the book, I had uh, had these little this part of my notes app where I, I call it extras. Like it's just random bits of words and writing that I say that I feel like don't fit it anywhere. So I was just trying to fit in like, what's the story? Like, what is the story? Because I left this toxic relationship, but then all of a sudden all these things that I thought were healed weren't, you know, I left self-help thinking I was going to smoothly transition to poetry, but somehow the transition to poetry brought out all this trauma that I didn't even know I was dealing with. And then I got re-traumatized. And, um, you know, even when I went to find a deeper meaning of purpose to like, by saying, okay, I have to connect with my indigenous roots and I connected to the indigenous community in, in Canada, like there I have there have been some really traumatizing things that happened to me there. So it was like this constant reaching out for what it is that's going to save me and just being left with nothing in my hands. And so the thing that motivated me to put together the collection was just this feeling of wanting to be able to hold something, like be able to hold something and look at it and say, this is mine. Because throughout every single day, it just felt like nothing was mine. Um, you know, most of it was put together, um, I'd say I compiled it in maybe six months, but it's, it's a terrible answer because it didn't take six months. Like it took my entire adult life. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's definitely Love and Gaslight, the one that I saw that, that went viral and I'm not going to read it because if anybody's going to read it, it, it will have to be you, I think. <laughs> but, um, but this is the one, this is the one, because as you said, you know, we go, and this is a problem that we have in Mexico. This is a problem we have in South America. This problem we have in Europe with this is a problem we have in the whole planet because it has nothing to do with spirituality or healing. And it has everything to do with the patriarchal mindset of the world in which p 
people who are born with penises are immediately granted the right to walk all over everybody else. And people who achieve any kind of uh, level of leadership or power are immediately granted by this patriarchal society the ability to pillage and plunder and colonize, whether it is a culture, uh, a practice, or somebody else's body. So it is, as, as you said, you know, it's overwhelming and it feels sometimes like there's nowhere to turn, but then you turn into this wonderful woman who wrote this book and then you find yourself the medicine that you didn't know you were looking for. So, you know, thank God is for art because art, I said it before and I will say it until I die. Art saved us when we thought we were un unable to be saved. And during the quarantine and at the beginning of the pandemic, we all turned to art. And that's why I like to highlight artists and the medicine that is there through the expression of their emotions. And I invite everybody to look up Veronica and buy her art and buy her spoken word books and all of her other books and, you know, keep, keep doing it because you're amazing at it. Thank you so much. You know, I, I appreciate you talking about the patriarchal aspects of it. And uh, I, I think the most interesting thing to me about what patriarchy looks like is it's not always, you know, sit down, shut up, you know, we will be in control. I think there's this much more subtle thing going on where there's the absence of cycle. There's the absence of cycle and ceremony. Like every 28 to 30 days, I cannot help but face all of my problems you know <laughs> like I feel all the feelings and um, depending on where you are in your uh, estrogen progesterone the cycle it becomes easier or harder to carry the weight that you're already carrying and so there's all these spiritual traditions that are advocating for unconditional detachment even unconditional love, unconditional generosity, unconditional compassion. And I think as women, we get lost in those narratives because we change, you know, like women who run with the wolves was, was one of my favorite, um, like pop psychology books that came out. And I love how she talks about the wolf inside all of us, just this, this, this vile thing. And um, I think, I was really damaged by these spiritual traditions that were saying, you know, anger is a toxic and useless emotion and everything is a projection of somebody else. And you should always be able to find, if you find the right spiritual perspective, then you will no longer be triggered by anything that's going on on the outside. And it's like, who is writing this stuff? Like not somebody from Palestine, not somebody from Ukraine, you know, not somebody from Yemen like it's when your home country's at war it's different when you've seen real poverty like it's different and so it was it was very liberating for me to start speaking out about what was going on in the spiritual community but it was also even as I'm talking about it now I'm like Ugh, but I've said these things you know when I was when I was in the uh, I cringe again saying I was a spiritual teacher. Um, you know, I think I did preach detachment and uh, how certain spiritual perspectives could just fix everything. And I think the more, the older I get, the more grounded I get in just like the misery of the world. And I think that's actually made me a better poet to be like, you know, the misery's not going anywhere. So let's embrace it. And I think that's something that as women, like we have to do once a month, like we have to just embrace the misery. And that's really absent from 
I think actually all spiritual traditions, like space to grieve, space to cry, space to rage, space to, instead of calling somebody depressed or anxious for how they are responding to a social condition and making it the onus of the individual, like you are anxious, you are oversensitive, to come back to how the environment is triggering these things in us. And, you know, if we were just in a meadow and we were dancing in a circle in a meadow and then we had a fire and we uh, had some songs around the fire and then we all told personal stories and then went to bed, like would that kind of day cause as much anxiety to an so-called anxious person as sitting in traffic and going to the office and standing in line at the grocery store? You know, we, we call people mentally uh, unstable or mentally ill or we say they they have a mood disorder but I think we have like a like a societal disorder and then all these spiritual traditions that are supposed to save you from it are just not I think they're really utopian and they're yeah. not real if you ask me in my opinion and and I will say you know I'm a priest of the goddess and yes I'm a circle century minister and yes I have, you know, Wicca and witchcraft and all of that, but before anything else, I'm a feminist witch. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm like, the goddess has cycles. And, and when your spirituality embraces that femininity, that is not misandry and it's not against men. It is quite the opposite. It's about uh, equality and and understanding the cycles and I wanted to tell you before I forget uh, I think it was Maya Angelou a colleague of yours who said when we know better we do better mm. and we all have said love and light and we all have said uh, you know pray the evil away and we all have said uh, we make our own choices and then we learn that that is all part of my French bullshit <laughs> and then we come and we face our shadow because there is fall and winter there's not only summer and we are not in summerland so when you spiritually face those shadows and embrace i love that you talk about anger and i love that you talk about wanting to break and wanted to burn and uh i i can't remember which poem but i remember you mentioned burning my eyelashes one by one and i'm like yes because that's what the world make, wants makes you want to do is burn every cell of yourself until you can come back again and and then when you're whole then you break down again you know because that's the cycle mm -hmm. but a lot of people have moved from abrahamic religions to so-called uh spiritualities of inclusiveness but it's the same rhetoric of the white light and the whiteness and everything has to be good and hunky-dory when that is not the reality of nature so as you can tell i'm with you on that one <laughs> you know? and and that's why this book is so amazing so not to put you on a spot but i'm gonna do you have your book with you and do you want to read love and gaslight and if you don't may i have the permission to read it um you know what why don't you read it oh my goodness what an honor <laughs> So the author has given me permission to read this wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're laughing. Okay. Love and gaslight. I will try my best. Kush, kombucha, and ketamine. Probiotics, prayers, and unchecked privilege. Burn sage. Breathe deep and blame the victims. Downward dog and don't jump to conclusions. Meditate and must have misunderstood. Microdose and let the microaggressions slide. Cocaine, quinoa, and cultural appropriation. Pineal gland, side trends, and implicit bias. 
trauma bond, tone police, and trust yourself. Sprouted grains and spiritual bypassing, unshaved armpits and unreported assaults, ostracized whistleblowers, and open your third eye. This is gold. You did great reading that. I, I um, try. I did my best. English is my second language, so I just thank the goddess I didn't trip. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny, actually, about trip uh, tripping? What I realized about um, performing poetry, because when I when I slam and when I perform, people are always like, "Oh my gosh, you memorized all that!" And um, what memorization to me is. Uh, it's like falling in love with the words and having done slam poetry. I mean, you only have three minutes, so there's a lot of time pressure, but as I've started doing more mm, untimed performances or like impromptu performances, then I realized that you can't, you can't trip on the words and you can't screw them up. Sometimes they just need more time. Sometimes they just need more time to really sink in and you just need a moment of silence before the medicine is ready to come out in the form it's ready to come out. Like uh, every time that someone reads Love and Gaslight, they're gonna have a different experience. And I had a different experience, um, you know, just listening to you read it and, uh, you know, the quinoa part really got to me because I remember being in South America and seeing, you know, how quinoa is produced and, this is like where it comes from. And it's just so interesting how certain products and certain, like even sage, you know, how, how these things get used. And I think it's good that people are willing to use sage as a medicine. You know, it's good that people are, are eating quinoa, but it's just, it's just so interesting when the place where something is from loses its respect it loses its part in the narrative. And you have all these spiritual communities that are full of, you know, this, these are not even third generation immigrants. Like, no, like they're not immigrants. Like their families have been settled for a while and they're looking for a sense of meaning and purpose. And so then they start, you know, smudging each other and um, doing all of these ceremonial type things without having a single connection to the people that are native to this land. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to do ceremonies or traditions, like you have to, you have to connect to the origins of those ceremonies and, and traditions. And um, so every time that somebody experiences that, that poem and what it brings up for them, just the, the contradiction in it all, every day it's different every moment it's different depending on who you meet and and what experiences you have it, it's going to hit you differently and um I think that's really the the beauty in it in mm -hmm. in sharing in sharing something that like it's honest but it's also edgy I think yeah. that's that's really when I switched from Veronica Tugaleva to Veronica Wild when I realized that I had some things to say that were going to be unpopular mm-hmm people and also I as you can see I get real I get real about my family and um the things that I've experienced with them and so there was this bit of a desire to protect my identity um yes. but it's really it's amazing how much the room there is for interpretation and time and processing and um how a poem is different to a, a different every day to the same person and is different to different people at any given time yeah and and just to kind of piggyback of that idea because my audience know me and they know I'm a Mexican from Mexico and a so-called immigrant in the United States which there is no more paradoxical enunciate <laughs> than being an immigrant in the United States when I was born in Mexico City but it is not that we are bashing spirituality as some people might know it. It is, in my opinion, that when you know better, then you might want to do better. And when you know that 
and I'm going to talk about my very personal experience, you know, when you see people who love Day of the Dead and they love the Mexican aesthetics and they love Frida Kahlo and they love Mexican food and they love the Mexican barrio and they love the Mexican art and they love the Mexican climate and they love the Mexican land, they just don't love the Mexicans. Mm. You know, that, that hits you. And you know, we're not saying here that every person is to be revered and, and well, maybe yes, but you know, what I'm saying is, and, and I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, I guess it's part of what you're trying to say here too, is like, appreciate not just the customs, but also the people, you know, and that is precisely what I say in my workshops, the antidote to appropriation, you know, uh, the difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation is education. Mm. And, and, and this is what's happening with some of these poems is that you're, you're inviting us to appreciate and to educate ourselves, particularly, you know, about your experiences with the love and light community. And unfortunately, came out of this traumatic event, but you have produced this wonderful medicine that is unlabeled, but is still medicine to the spirit. Mm. I love, I love how you're, uh, you're drawing a line between appropriation and appreciation. And you know, it's, it's so much of it is about context. Like when people borrow from, I think, I think there's always going to be borrowing and inspiration between different cultural elements, but so much of, the new age spiritual community and it's is getting huge everywhere like with all these self-help books too um there's no context you know all this love and light it has no context all these thoughts and prayers like thoughts and prayers for what yeah. um there, there's no there's no recognition of uh I mean, I keep, I, I keep going back to Palestine right now because there was, um, I saw a, a talk by somebody the other day who was like talking about economic progress and was talking about the, like, what was happening in Israel in the 70s and like the techno boom and trying to take an example from Israel as like a sign of economic progress. And this person had managed to make it through like a 15 to 20 minute talk without ever mentioning Palestine. And it's like the context is just missing. It's just completely missing. And the more that those stories get told without their context, the more the people behind them disappear. You know, in Canada at this point, they've uncovered over 10,000 bodies of children who went to school and never came back. It is a genocide. Like it's unquestionably a genocide. And I really thought, I mean, I've been with the movement since there were 215 bodies because that's enough. You know, like that's it was already enough. And um, people, you know, the natives that I've met here, they knew there were more. And even now, they still know there are more. And I really thought, you know, once they find 10,000 bodies, that's going to be it, right? Like that's that's a five digit number. Like how many, how many bodies do you need? Um, but it's still like it's not showing up on the news. It's not showing up in some of the most important topics of discussion when we talk about what's going on in Canada today right now um and then you know you you'll read a history book someday about the genocide being uncovered and people in 20 30 years are going to be like how could everyone be so blind and i think that blindness it's the same blindness that leads to cultural appropriation it's the lack of context there's mm -hmm. no context like you're just taking um I, th I think spirituality when it's detached from the human experience is extremely toxic yeah because we're not because we are human and there is war in the world and there there is poverty and there's starvation and and there's so much col colonialism yep. and uh so the people that are native to the everywhere in the world that has been colonized like those people have had their own traditions and ceremonies and they just happen to be so similar all across the world like they just happen to have something to do with the elements you know there's some with mm -hmm. water some with fire something there um there's some sort of song and dance so you see these common elements that bring us together and um 
I think it's just interesting how so many people in these new age spiritual communities are detached from their roots. Like just to be blunt, I think that all that a lot of people in those communities know, they just know they're white. That's mm -hmm. what they know. They're like some mix of some European countries. But I think there are some of them who could have indigenous roots that they don't even know about. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and when you have the colonizers or the descendants of the colonizers or the colonizer mentality still adjusting their narrative to their convenience, you have people who will never question, for example, structures that were made in all Europe uh, 10 or 1500 years before the common era. And yet anything that was built by black and brown folks is aliens. And then you have uh, the History Channel saying that it was aliens and, you know, because uncivilized people of color, and I'm doing big air quotes, couldn't build structures such as this. And, and there are folks who are loving and, and caring and well-intended that they're going to believe what they see on the History Channel because it's the History Channel. You know, but it's, and then you have a brown person telling you like, no, it was our ancestors. Oh, no, 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 no. It was aliens. You don't know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you're talking about that. Like me and a friend of mine, um, we were invited to an event the other day and uh, they did this like opening ceremony. And, you know, when I think of ceremony, I'm like, what are we going to do? Pass a cup around? Like what, like what's, what's the ceremony? And um, the ceremony was pretty much just all these people talking about aliens and like their galactic friends. And I mean, me and my friend just looked at each other and she said, I think everyone here is high on drugs. Is what she <laughs> said. <laughs> and you know what? It's not untrue. I feel like that's why I have like cocaine, quinoa and cultural appropriation and the side trance and the there are so many drugs going around in those communities too but it's just really funny how detached you can be from what which spiritual entities are actually surrounding you how you can be so detached from your ancestors that you have to draw some kind of feeling of comfort from the presence of the unseen aliens yeah you know how you can be so detached from uh you know, I think God is a loaded word, but I think it's a nice word to describe one. If you were to distill the a spiritual presence to one or two or three entities, I think God is a useless word. Um, but I think if you were to find your own connection with it, then I think it can be very very useful undistilled unfiltered moment-to-moment -moment connections with whatever you might call god and i think a lot of people are not they don't want to use the word god because of how uh the things that religion has done basically and uh, the blood on the catholic church's hands for example um but there's still there's still something there there's still like a richness to there's a richness to being connected to to land to ancestors to spirits there's also a richness to being connected to like the one god um but it's a matter of finding how does that sit within you like what is what is your experience of it how does it sit within you how does it impact you and how can you um move through this and so i think a lot of the communities they've just said okay well we'll just call it aliens uh and I don't know, they're just, it's just, so, there's something detached about it, but I can't say that I haven't felt the same thing, you know, entering a church and sometimes it feels like that in a church to me too, right? Like where everybody's agreeing on, okay, this is what we're all going to say is the source of all these um, things that we can't understand. But at the end of the day, it's like, you can't build a house on top of a graveyard and expect that house not to be haunted <laughs> so when you're talking about like aliens or spirits or whatever like I think it's important to go back to like 
there are children's bodies under the churches in Canada, like literal bodies. And so that's obviously creating some kind of, that has a spiritual effect on the land and, and what's happening to it. Like there's, there's karma for all of these things. So the aliens are not going to help with that. No, I really don't think the aliens are coming to rescue us from genocide. No. Um, so there's and, like this need for awakening on that level, just like basic understanding of what's going on in the world. And you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because the the mushrooms, which a lot of people utilize to have an altered state of mind, uh, Maria Sabina, the great Mexican curandera healer, she used to call them the sacred children or, or the sacred kids. And it was a misunderstood appropriation incident when the Beatles decided to go to Maria Sabina for some mushrooms, John Lennon, and now everybody used them, but they are not used the way that Maria used to use them, which mm. is a medicine for a moment. It's just become another way to, to disassociate from reality because mm. we we continue trying to believe that we're not part of this earth <laughs> that something from out of the earth has right. all the answers and we are being so busy looking up that we've forgotten to look down and down to the earth and down to beneath the earth there is a the biggest cathedral in mexico city built with the stones from the pyramids. Wow. You know, so it's like, I knew this was going to happen. We are just about an hour and neither you or I want to go. I don't want to go. I want to keep <laughs> conversing with you, but uh, your time is so valuable and I don't want to take as much. You've been so generous with it. Um, I just want to ask you, is there are you doing presentations? Are you touring? What's in the future, near future? Where where can we find you? So I just, um, I've been in Montreal, been kind of hiding out. Um, I just came back to Toronto to do the Toronto Storytelling Festival. And for that, I strung together some of, um, some material about where I'm from that's really the topic of uh, what, what I was dealing with. And it's such a triggering and complicated question. And they put me on stage with a musician. Um, so that was, that was really great to have somebody playing music while and we had rehearsed for a few hours, but it was, it was really magical how, you know, once we found the melodies for the poems, the, the sad, the sad melody at the sad part would, would help me be sadder. So um that was the first time I'd been on stage in two years. Like I had, I was traveling around. I uh, was in Melbourne and like one Melbourne poetry slam and was supposed to go back for the finals, but then, you know, coronavirus hit and I couldn't, I couldn't go compete in Melbourne. And then I also couldn't come back to Toronto where I had qualified for finals there. And there's, there's all these competitions, these poetry competitions that I felt like the opportunities got taken away from me by COVID. And um, getting back to performing again after a few years, you know, of writing and uh, also hiding out, being like, does my voice even matter? <laughs> the, I'm feeling like I'm more ready to share what it is that I have to share in like spoken form. So I, I'm going to keep performing. I'm going to start releasing more videos on YouTube. I think that's that's important. And I'm going to keep talking about Ukraine. I'm going to keep talking about all the genocides I know about what it's like to be indigenous. You know, I, I really see my art taking this more grounded stance and exactly where I'm from. And that's what's been missing for me. You know, I'm saying all these people are missing context. Like, I think I'm just finding my context. I'm really starting to understand what all of these elements, all of these traumas, um, and all of these uncomfortable experiences that I've been through and how that makes me who I am. So I feel much more excited to, uh, to share that and to put it into video form 
specifically. So you'll see more of me on YouTube. Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram. So uh, on Instagram, I share anything and everything that's going on in my stories. So if there's anything coming up, yeah, please follow me. It's um, Veronica spelled V-I-R-O-N-I-K-A. I should be the first one that comes up, Veronica Wilde. And actually, like now when I meet people and they ask what my name is, I say Veronica, but um, it's hard to spell. <laughs> but yeah, I've started saying my name, like how I say my name, like that was my name. And then, you know, immigrating to a new country, they, they pronounce your name different. So I'm no longer letting people correct me on how I pronounce my name or the name of my country. You know, I, I actually in um like because I've done some traveling like in uh, Mexico and like uh, in South America and like Costa Rica and sometimes people be like where are you from and I would say Ukraina and they'd be like Ukraina and um, sometimes to confirm right but sometimes to like correct my pronunciation and that happens in English too I think it's funny we correct people on how they pronounce their names and their birthplaces so I, th I think it's just this big metaphor for where I'm headed. Like I'm no longer mispronouncing my name or the name of my country. And um, yeah, I'm not trying to hide the, all the politics of it. And I'm also not trying to make it this like impartial, logical discussion. Like I'm a really emotional being and I'm talking about the political in this really personal way. So I, I think as time goes on, I'll just be creating much more even more honest content like people think love and gaslight is so honest but i i feel like i can still be even more honest <laughs> i feel that i love i love that i'm no longer mispronouncing sounds like the title of a of a new book and i hope i made honor to saying veronica you know it's a little close but i i, I will practice and perfect it and That's perfect. That's good. <laughs> i i want to thank you for being you and thank you for pouring all this medicine um i want to read for people not another poem but just just a little snippet of the back of the book it says more than po more than a poetry book love and gaslight is a story divided into five chapters she already told us about that um she's a sexual assault survivor reclaiming her body she's an immigrant climbing into the home-sized hole in her heart. She is an adult comfort, comforting her inner child. She's a woman questioning the social condition that governs her freedom. Low and Gaslight is raw, political, and transgressive. It's edgy, feminist, and relevant, right on my wheelhouse. More importantly, it's honest. You will feel it. Whether it makes you feel sad, glad, or attacked, it will also make you feel brave enough to speak your truth. The, the book is called Love and Gaslight by Veronica Wild. And if you haven't bought it, you're missing out. You need to get it. And there are so many good uh, poems here and, and experience and each page contains medicine. So um, the, the last thing that I wanna do is uh, give you the microphones so you can say goodbye to your audience. <laughs> Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you, um, Laura. I, I mean, we had only spoken through email a few times. Um, and I, I feel like your questions and your, your viewpoints, it's just very refreshing um, to have somebody who's willing to look at inside of all of these uh, corners where there's things piled up so, so I really appreciate you um, for having me here and for this conversation like I, I feel I feel much more understood and understanding after uh, our conversation and and you know radio interviews usually don't go like that <laughs> <laughs> so I really appreciate you having me here thank you Thank you. And obviously, I, I didn't go to school to do this. I'm just a curious person. And I love having you. And thank you so much for being here. And I just want to remind everybody that we have 
CSMP, the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast, over 700 hours of podcasts. Wednesdays and Sundays, we have our senior ministers, Lena Fox, uh, with Nature Mystic and Nature Spirituality. Two Tuesdays a month, we have Circle Talk with Deborah Rose. Two Thursdays a month, we have Moon Magic with David and Janet Ewan. The third Friday of the month, we have Char Bear with Blue Planet. And every Saturday, we have Paganos del Mundo or Pagaos del Mundo with Christine Ortiz, Carolina Amor, Monica Govin, Harwa Tuileva, Patricia Finkler, and yours truly. My name is Laura Gonzalez. And I'm with you every Monday on Lunatic Mondays, the Lunes Lunaticos. As always, the first Monday is in Spanish, the second and fourth is in English, and the third Monday I'm joined by uh, Jake Bradley and we do the special social justice series. Um, thank you everybody for listening. Veronica, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Thanks for having me. <laughs> And thank you everybody. And we'll, we'll connect again next Monday. And until then, never forget that you are loved. Bye-bye. And thank you for joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network podcasts, presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow the Nature Center paths. Join us here throughout the week for various programming connecting the community around the world. And please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. And follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash csnpodcasts. We can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites, such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. And until next time, many blessings. <laughs>